Oh, dear God. How can I possibly listen to him? He doesn't even listen to you. I'm not even sure if he really believes. He really doesn't act like it. How can you expect me to let him lead when he isn't letting you lead him? It feels like a slap in the face, one that you're allowing. Don't I have a right to defend myself? Don't you want better for me? This doesn't feel like submission. It feels like humiliation. How about when he's mean to me or indifferent? And isn't he supposed to love me like Christ loved the church? Then I could see submitting to him. But when he doesn't do that, then what? Still submit? Why? That feels offensive. (sighs) I need your help, God, to do this submission thing. I am going to need you. Because honestly, God, I don't want to. So, here I am again, asking for help. And while I'm at it, please help him too. (laughs) Help us both, Lord. Welcome to the Rooted and Redeemed podcast, where we celebrate our redemption in Christ by becoming further rooted in his love. We do this by digging into God's word together and encouraging one another to abide in Christ. This podcast is a production of the Bay Area Community Church Women's Ministry, and we are thrilled to have you join us. Well, I'm really excited about the woman that I get to sit with today. Um, we, uh, Caroline Halting is here with me. She's one of the younger women here in women's ministry. And I got to know her through um, the singles Bible study last year. And it's just been a joy to get to know her. So welcome, Caroline. Thanks so much for having me, Megan. I'm really excited to be here today um, and to speak to you all. So my testimony, a little bit about me. Um, I was raised in a Christian household, and because of that, I honestly can't remember a day that I didn't know Jesus. Um, He has been my Lord and Savior since as far back as I can remember. I actually remember doing my first communion and being interviewed by a pastor and an elder at my church. I remember them asking me when I became a Christian and how I knew I was ready to take communion, the body and blood of Christ, which at the time I was like, oh, this is what everybody does. Like, I I get to do this, but I guess... At the time, um, I didn't really know what it meant, but I think that is just like a sign of how God was working in me and through my parents to work in me because they were ready and they saw in me that I was ready to take this important sacrament and make it a part of my life. Um, So I was raised in a Christian school. I went to a Christian college. I went on missions trips. I did the youth group. I did everything that every parent could want for their child, every Christian activity to the max. I was the biggest rule follower, and I still kind of am, (laughs) honestly. I think Megan knows that a little bit. But sometimes because of this, I don't really feel like I have, like, a valid testimony to share with people because, like, for the most part, my life has been pretty stable in my faith. Um, And I don't 
really feel like people want to know that, oh, like my life has been pretty easy when it comes to my relationship yeah. with Jesus. They don't want to hear that because so many people have struggled with becoming mm-hmm. a Christian and whatever their life has brought to them. But I think when you asked me if I want to be a part of this podcast, it really got me thinking that this stability has actually just been such a huge part of my testimony. Um, and just like different ways that I didn't realize. Because I think sometimes I look at other Christians who have been through the wildest of struggles. Mm-hmm. And because of those struggles have been able to really rely even more firmly on Jesus. Yeah. And I'm jealous that they're able to point to a specific day in their life that mm-hmm. they can say that this is the day that I dedicated my life to God. Right. Because like I said, like in first grade, I was pretty sure that I was already there. Yeah. But I think that I, I just think that that's God working in me from the beginning. And just because I don't have a specific day to point to doesn't mean that I'm any less valid in my faith, in my testimony. That's right. Um, And God has been able to reveal himself even more to me through the quietness and the stability of my life. He's taught me that through these stable times, I need to rely on him even more because I think that sometimes it's really easy to lose sight of God when things are going your way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's not to say that my life has been easy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've had those doubts and those struggles. I've suffered loss. I've Mm -hmm. suffered through the confusions of life. I've suffered from temptations of this world preying on my life and on my soul. I've been hurt by the church that I was raised in. I've lost my uncle to an Episcopalian bishop. I've I've seen my friends fall from the faith and just mm. so many different struggles that even through all of that, even through the sinful institutions of people and the sinful mm. people in the church, I've still been able to come through that and still have such a deep faith in yeah. Christ through that. Um, so I think that one thing that God has really taught me that one, my testimony, I don't need to compare to other people because I've learned from the quietness and how other people have fallen away in the quietness. That's right. And at the end of the day and at the end of my life, I will be standing in heaven worshiping God for all of eternity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I sort of feel like we could end the podcast now. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was such a good word. Um, it's so true. We all have our, you know, a different journey. And um, I think it's beautiful that you've walked with the Lord and that he's, you've known his nearness for your whole life. And um, I think there's probably a lot of people that have the other story that, you know, long for your story. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, we all have to just learn that we, uh, you know, he reaches us right where we are. And, right. Um, I love it. It's beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, So um, how did you end up at Bay Area? And then I know you were going to look at Ephesians 5. Mm -hmm. So what verse stood out to you there in in Ephesians? Yeah, so I came to Bay Area, I think, right in June of 2020. Um, I grew up in the area in Annapolis my whole life. And so I knew what Bay Area was. And I even had like my high school graduation here, um, (laughs) which is kind of funny. So, but I was just kind of church hopping, looking around and I got plugged in here. And then after joining the singles Bible study, I just really found like a good group of women that I really wanted to get to know more and just had a really good conversations with and really just hear the word preached every Sunday, which is just so important 
and so just love all the pastors here because yeah. I think they do a really great job. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. do too. <laughs> and then in Ephesians 5, I think the one verse, I was just reading through it right before this, um, Ephesians 5 verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I think it's so important um, that we remember to walk in love because I think it's so easy to get bogged down by all the confusion and trials of this world and yeah. get stuck on how we know we're right and yeah. we know what the truth is through the Bible, but that truth isn't going to get transmitted to anybody if we don't love them first. So true. So I think that's something that I really see a lot today in our culture because yeah. there's a lot going on, yeah. obviously. Right. But at the end of the day, we're called to love God and love our neighbor. And I think that that's so important for us to remember in yeah. our walk with Christ. Oh, I love that. Above all else, just rest in love. You mm -hmm. know, That's more than our opinion, more important than our opinion. Or uh, like you said, no one's going to hear truth if, if we don't act in love. Mm -hmm. so, oh, that's great. Well, thank you for being here and yeah, sharing so with us. To. And like I said, that could be it for Rooted and Redeemed today. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Ephesians chapter 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, 
submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Ephesians chapter 6 Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. All right, welcome back to Explore Ephesians 5. Uh, today, I'm going to be uh, working us through the teaching, but um, I've invited Andrea Wotel to join me in the conversation. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for being here. Um, so today, we're going to be digging into um, what can be I don't know, controversial or um, a very challenging concept, um, submission. Uh, so submit, um, as defined by Merriam-Webster, um, is a verb uh, to accept or yield to a superior force or the, to the authority or will of another person. So some do think of it as a dirty word uh, in a culture that's all about me. It's about what I want, when I want it. Uh, the idea of submitting to anyone else, particularly a man, can be really insulting. And yet, that's what God tells us to do in Ephesians 5 and 6. Today, we're going to look at the who, where, why, and how of submission. As we dig into chapter 5 and 6 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, let's come before the Lord, asking him to give us soft hearts, 
wholeheartedly devoted to him and his way for our lives. Andrea, would you pray for us? Lord, we come before you admitting that we desire control, we desire security, and we want our voice to be heard, recognized, and honored. And yet we know that you are the only one worthy of honor. And when we walk in your ways, our hearts are changed. Our lives are conformed to your will. And as we are filled with your spirit, we can become more like you. Jesus, we ask you for teachable, moldable hearts that grow in obedience and humility, that through our actions and behaviors, others might be drawn to you. Amen. Thank you. So as we begin to dive into Ephesians 5, we do so acknowledging that this can be one of the most controversial, challenging sections of scripture. We also acknowledge that these principles will look different in every home, and that Paul is writing to believers living in a broken, perverse culture, much like our own. Yet he is saying there is a better way, God's way, and it will lead to more unity in your life, more peace, more benefits, and a softer heart. So as we jump in, we need to come open-hearted, acknowledging that maybe he doesn't—he does know something we don't, and that we can trust him. In verses one through twenty-one of Ephesians, we're going to start by seeing the how of submission. He gives us four steps we can take to live out godly guidelines for submission. He is going to show us that we are to be imitators of God, flee the darkness, and come into the light. Be intentional and be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 opens with a dramatic admonition to be imitators of God, walking in sacrificial love. We are warned in verse 3 to put off sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscene talking, but to use our mouths for giving thanks. Paul repeats these warnings in verse 5, reminding believers that those who walk in these ways do not have an inheritance with the kingdom of God. Paul is really closing out the teachings from chapter four, where he was very clear that our new selves in Christ live a different way. We are kind, truth-tellers, hardworking, and forgiving. So verse five begins by reminding us that as followers of Christ, we are called to live differently, being imitators of God. This makes me think of a little boy doing a home project with his father. Both have their baseball caps on backwards, tools and play tools in hand, looking at the nail closely before banging it into place. The little boy imitates his father because his dad is just the best guy he knows and he wants to do everything he can to be like him. Well, obviously we know that God is just the best and we wanna be like him, but we forget in the busiest busyness of life to imitate him primarily walking in sacrificial love. But as we go deeper into chapters five and six, Paul is going to go deeper into our calling as Christians and challenge us not to be kind, but to submit, putting others above us. Submit like Jesus, who, as we learn in Philippians two, was submitted to death, even death on a cross. Submission is a scary prospect, one we, don't, one we most often run from. So why don't we just take a second and think about the last time we had to submit to another's authority. Maybe it was a teacher or a boss or our parents or our husband. Did we submit willingly? Did we sacrifice in love willingly? Or did we fight kicking and screaming every step of the way? 
If you're anything like me, there was definitely some kicking and screaming, at least internally. Can you relate to that, Andrea? Megan, I wish I could say that I couldn't, but I absolutely can. <laughs> yes, I know. I wish I could say I couldn't either. Um, I even yesterday just had a really uh, rough day at my home and I um, said things to each member of my family that I should not have said. And um, as I was just reading this intro, um, my heart was just grieved over that. And um, I had already apologized last night for the way I was just had an attitude yesterday and was disrespectful and unkind. But um, I just feel even more convicted this morning and uh, reading this. So it'll be good to go <laughs> dig in a little deeper and be reminded um, that it's okay. And he forgives me and I can move forward in his will. So yeah, kicking and screaming, I guess sometimes. <laughs> anyway, so prior to jumping into submission, Paul is going to give us the motivation and provision once more. Verses 6 through 13 read, Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once in darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, for Christ will shine on you. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, let's start in verse 6. Let no one deceive you. As we know, the first sin entered the world through Satan's deception of Eve. Did God really say? He says to her. Well, no, God didn't say. We see in Matthew 4 that Satan meets Jesus in the wilderness while he's fasting for 40 days. Satan tries to deceive him, even using and twisting scripture. Now Jesus, who knew scripture by heart, was able to recognize Satan's deception and fight it with the sword of the spirit. And we'll learn more about the armor of God next week. But we need to be more like Jesus. We need to recognize Satan's deception, even when he uses people in our life who twist the word of God. For we must not be deceived with empty arguments. And we do this because we are children of the light, which consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to our Lord. In other words, when Satan's deceptions come, and they will, maybe through our own thoughts or maybe the working of others in our lives, when his deceptions come, we need to test them against what we know of the Lord, what we have seen in his word and in truth. One of the best examples of this is unity. Unity is a theme of the word of God. God gave his son that we might have unity with him and that we might have unity with one another. But Satan is deceptive. When we are offended, he tells us it will feel better to lash out, to get our point across and to put that person in, our in their place. But does it? Do you feel better after you've lashed out? Does it ever really lead to restoration or help the relationship? Or does it just drive a deeper wound? If we tested the lie against God's word, we would see that Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. 
to forgive 77 times, and Paul admonishing us in Philippians to consider the interests of others above ourselves. So Satan's lie doesn't really hold up when tested. Then we move into verse 11 and 12, and Paul gets into one of the great strongholds of the church. In 70 AD and 2021 AD, secret sin. That sin you could never expose because you'd be kicked out of Christian circles. That sin that eats away at you in the darkness. That sin that Satan uses to hold you and bind you. Because if you could just stop, he would have no control over you. So he makes you believe you can't just stop. Paul warns us, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even mention what is done by them in secret. We all have images in our minds of these secret sins, these acts only done in darkness where no one can see, where no one else knows. Maybe you haven't partaken in one of these secret sins yet, but be warned, sin is crouching at your door, it desires to have you. It takes just one compromise after another to get us there. All have fallen and all can fall again. What is the answer? What do we do with these secret sins that grip us so tightly? Paul tells us in verse 13, everything exposed by the light is made visible for what makes everything visible is light. Paul's instructions are everything we resist. Shine the light on it. Bring it out of the darkness. Get up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Allow Christ to shine on you. Allow his light to bring you out of darkness. So I'm asking my listeners, are you struggling with a secret sin right now? Do you have a trusted Christian friend you can share with? Do you want to be free of this stronghold? Allow Christ to shine his light in this dark corner. Bring it out where he can shine so brightly that your eyes will turn away from the allure of this sin. If you don't have a trusted friend, come to the church, sit with a pastor, the women's ministry director, or the care network director. Allow us to walk alongside you. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. Again, allow us to walk alongside you. There is power in confession, in shining the light of Christ in dark corners. Luke 11.36 in the New Living Translation says, If you are filled with the light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight was filling you. Marian Webster describes radiant as reflecting beams of light. In other words, when you clean out the dark corners, you allow Christ to reflect his light off of you, which naturally will draw others to look. I experienced this personally um, about, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. I was just struggling with a particular sin and um, I was kind of keeping it in the dark. Um, And as soon as I told my husband about it, um, I just felt this sense of freedom and forgiveness. And he um, even uh, just bringing it out into the light was such a help. And um, it doesn't mean that it will like automatically go away, but um, it will not be hidden anymore and and Satan will have so much less control over it. So 
Um, I'm so thankful that I was able to have an honest conversation with my husband about it and bring it out to the light. So let's just take a minute right now and um, pray over anyone listening who might be struggling with something. Lord, there may be someone listening to this who is caught in secret sin. She knows it is destroying her. She's wrestled and tried in all her might. She walks in fear of being revealed and scorned. Lord, I pray that you strengthen her to stop buying into Satan's lie, that the sin is better, and that no one could love her if they knew. Lord, reveal your love to her so that she knows that she can bring that secret sin to the light and that it might not rule over her. Lord, give her someone to walk through the journey of repentance and restoration with her. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Wow, Megan, that can be enough to process for one day. But Paul goes on uh, to give us a different warning, doesn't he? He sure does. Paul moves on in verse 16 um, to give us another very needed warning in this society. He says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. To this I say, what have we binge watched on Netflix lately? It's so easy for us to escape into a little TV, a little Facebook or Instagram and look up three hours later. I mean, Netflix now just runs into the next episode. I'm not even sure why they give you the 10 second warning. The next episode is coming. In Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, we are taught about the wife of noble character. If you spend any time in this chapter, you begin to feel a bit inadequate as you read about all of her accomplishments. If you are anything like me, you're left thinking, how does she do it? This reminds me of the movie with Sarah Jessica Parker titled, I Don't Know How She Does It. That movie really resonated with me. The scene where she's laying in bed and all the word bubbles come up with bring bagels to fourth grade, bake pie for the bake sale, book flight for meeting with boss in New York City. How many times have we laid in our beds with our to-do list running through our head? Sarah Jessica Parker's character hits quite a few bumps in the road and toes the line of faithfulness to her husband and kids, but not so for the Proverbs 31 woman. In verse 27, we get a glimpse of how she does it. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. It doesn't say she's not often idle or rarely idle. It says never idle. It reminds me of Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. She pays attention to her time, not just pays attention, pays careful attention. She is intentional. Why? Because left to our own defenses, our days are evil. Satan can get his foothold. We need to be intentional with our time, our days, and our relationships. As we look toward the submission that is to come a few verses away, we are told in verse 18, not to be filled with drunkenness, but to be filled with the spirit. It is such an excellent comparison. When we are filled with drunkenness, we are under the influence of that which fills us, in this case, alcohol. We make choices we wouldn't make from a sober mind. When we are filled with the spirit, we make choices based on the influence of the spirit, God himself. We can hear his voice when we are filled with him and attuned to his leading. Remember back in Ephesians 3.20, after we were encouraged to be rooted in and filled with Christ's love, we were reminded that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according 
to the power at work in us. This power from being filled with Christ, filled with the spirit will enable us to submit. The power to submit, that sounds contradictory, a bit of an oxymoron. But if you've ever submitted when you didn't want to, you know that it does take power and there is no greater power we can draw on than that of God through his spirit. So we are reminded in this first section of chapter five, we must flee immorality and the darkness, come into the light, be intentional and be filled with the spirit. Flee the darkness, come into the light, be intentional and be filled with the spirit. Then we are prepared to, as verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I love reading the word in different versions of the Bible. One of my Bibles has verse 21 in its own paragraph with a blank space above it and below it. It reminds me of in the Psalms when they say Selah or pause, reflect. We've learned about the how of submission because we are called to imitate God, flee the darkness, into the light, be intentional, and be filled with the Spirit. But in verse 21, we are given our why for submission, in reverence to Christ. Do you adore Christ for what he did for you on the cross? Do you revere him, feeling deep respect and admiration for him? When we revere something, we are called to action. We want to respond, to actively participate in honoring well, in Ephesians 21, we are given our calling in reverence to him, and we submit to one another. In chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, we are going to learn the where of submission. In Ephesus, at this time, these verses were applicable to home. Relationships between the husband and wife, children and parents, slaves and masters, centered around the home. Today, these verses are more applicable to us both at home and in our work, because thankfully, in our culture, slavery is not an acceptable practice. Yet, we will still glean from these verses on slaves and masters. So we see that the who of submission that is highlighted in Ephesians is our family and our co-workers, the people we spend the most time with. Paul begins by speaking to the husband and wife. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Verse 22. One thing that jumps out to me in this verse is that there are three people mentioned, the wife, the husband, and Christ. When we read this verse, it can also often feel like, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. But each part of this verse deserves emphasis, most certainly when talking about Christ. It's a beautiful simile given to us. Andrea, do you feel like this verse gets a bad reputation in our culture? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, I think in our current day and age, um, there's a lot of emphasis on equality between men and women, which um, is absolutely something that we should be considering, um, but we should also be considering how um, God has structured our marriages um, in order for our, our husbands to lead us um, in the likeness of Christ in the church. Yeah, that's so good. That's right. We, we can't just consider our own opinion. We do need to consider God's design. 
So it's the best design. Thank you. Um, so basically, each part of the verse deserves emphasis, most certainly when talking about Christ. It's a beautiful simile given to us. As Christ is the head of the church, quickly followed by a reminder that he is savior of the body. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. As I read this term, as I read this, the term washing stood out to me and I was reminded of Christ washing the disciples' feet. Have you ever been to a wedding where the bride and groom wash each other's feet? Such a beautiful picture of service and love. As wives, we are called to submit to our husband's authority, but we can do this because we know our husbands are called to love us as Christ loved the church, willing to bow before us and wash the dirt off our feet, viewing us as clean as Christ did the church. You see, our marriages are meant to be one of the greatest evangelistic tools on earth. By design, they reflect the relationship of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus the Son all equal in stature, completing different roles, but purpose fulfilled in unity. Our marriages, husband, wife, with the anchor of God are similar. Husband and wife, equal in stature with differing roles, but living out purpose in unity. When we live in submission to God with a heart of obedience, our marriages will reflect God and others will notice. They will want to know why it works how 20 years in, trial after trial, we are still able to forgive, to honor one another. Because of the how, because we are filled with the spirit, because of the why, in reverence to Christ. In Tim Keller's marriage series, he points out that for the majority of decisions made in marriage, both parties actively discuss and make decisions together. Then there are the handful of times over the years where we don't see eye to eye with the spouse. What do we do then? Well, as wives, we submit. We agree to our husband's leading. But some of you may be thinking, this can't apply to my situation because there's nothing about my husband that loves me like Christ loves the church. There are a number of different levels of which this may be true. Maybe he is emotionally absent. Maybe he is consumed with work and rarely home. Maybe his tongue is harsh. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Again, it might be in our nature to reject these verses. So as my husband disobeys the word, I respond with a gentle and quiet spirit. But God gives these verses as an encouragement and a hope. Our actions do matter. They are recognized year after year of a quiet spirit has a, an effect just like year after year of a nagging wife causes a man to wish on a different, on the corner of his roof, as we see in Proverbs. 
So be encouraged. Your behavior makes a difference. We can wear our husbands down with nagging, negativity, and rejection of God's design, or we can wear them down in another way with a gentle, pure, and quiet spirit, softening the edges of their hearts month by month. Before moving on to children, I do need to acknowledge that some of the wives listening may have far more serious issues in their marriage, infidelity, or even abuse. These actions have no place in a godly marriage are in, and are in serious violation of God's will. God doesn't require you to sit by while you are being physically hurt. He is also dishonored by sexual immorality, and standing by quietly will only allow your spouse to persist in immorality and you in deep emotional pain. So just as we discussed before, these are situations that need to be brought into the light. They may not be your secret sins, but they need the light. So find a trusted friend, counselor, or pastor, and shed light into the darkness. In a way, you are honoring your spouse by doing so. Next, we are told that, the chil that children must obey their parents and that we must honor our father and mother. We note that verse 2 applies to children of all ages. We must honor our father and mother no matter the age. And he reminds us that there is a reward for honoring our parents, that it may go well with us. I might theorize that as women, we honor God by observing verse four as well. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the reverence and instruction of the Lord. Again, I'm reminded we do these things in reverence to Christ when we live in unity, when we tame the tongue and choose not to lash out at a disrespectful child or an obstinate parent, we are honoring God. I know I've failed in the way I've spoken to both my children and my parents. My heart is grieved when I look back at some of the arguments I had with my parents as a youth and the times I've lost my temper as an adult. When I see it replaying with my own teenagers, I'm left to wonder, will I ever get this right? But instead of becoming despondent, I'm reminded that his mercies are new every morning. That as we are told in James 4, 8, if we flee the devil, he will flee from us. So I lay my brokenness before the Lord and ask him to fill me with the spirit the next time that I might respond better with a gentle and quiet spirit full of the wisdom of God. Uh, thank you, Megan. Um, so Paul gives us great advice in relationships, as we have seen, um, relationships within our family. Um, what about other relationships? What does he have to say? Yeah, thank you. He um, does move out of the family now. Um, like I said before, at this time, um, these next relationships really were part of the home. Um, but now um, they have moved most often out of the home. Some, sometimes um, we do work with people in our home. But um, so in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, Paul closes this section on submission in relationships by talking about slaves and masters. Again, our first instinct is to recoil and lash out. But we need to acknowledge that Paul was trying to encourage people in challenging situations. Have you ever had a friend suffering from a horrible situation and you want to change their situation, but you can't? You are powerless to change their trying condition. So you speak words of encouragement into the situation, fighting words, words to help them live out their circumstance in a way honoring to the Lord. That is what I see Paul doing here. He's saying to the slaves, 
you are living in a circumstance I can't control, but because I love you, I want you to know what God sees in your situation. He encourages them to obey their master in sincerity of heart as they would Christ. Not to work only while being watched, but to do God's will from your heart. You know why? God looks at the heart. In Samuel 16, 7, we read uh, that the Lord says that the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so slaves in Ephesus or employees in Maryland, we must work with hearts submitted to our earthly authorities and hearts devoted to God. And masters or bosses, remember to cast your pride aside and serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Because whether employee or employer, God looks at our hearts and he sees the pride, the humility, the servant love, and the selfishness. And what he is looking for is a heart wholly devoted to him, which eagerly shows up in relationships with others. There's no favoritism with God, as we see in the last verse. Slave or free, boss or minion, our hearts are examined by God. Wife, single, daughter, mother, there is no favoritism with the Lord. He desires that we all submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. So let's revisit the who, where, why, and how of submission. Beginning with how, we submit through the power of Christ being rooted in his love and filled with the spirit. Where, we submit in our homes and our workplaces. Who, we submit to our husbands, to our parents, bosses, with an attitude of love and respect for our children. The why, we submit out of reverence for Christ. As we yield to others, it is the Lord we are ultimately submitting to out of an abundance for reverence to Christ. The Lord is the superior force in our lives, worthy of all submission. His way truly is the best way. As we close, let's ask ourselves, does my heart willingly submit to others out of reverence for Christ? To whom is God asking me to submit to today out of reverence for Christ? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do just ask that you would show us um, how to walk in relationships and submission, Lord. Um, give us an other-centered attitude and teach us, Lord, to submit out of a reverence for Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrea, for being here with me today. Um, I hope you enjoyed talking submission. Oh, I absolutely did. Thanks for having me, Megan. Thanks for joining us this week on Rooted and Redeemed, where we pray that you continue to celebrate your redemption in Christ by becoming further rooted in his love.